Okay, um, happy Monday, everybody, um, and welcome to start the week with Lorna and Lottie. I am Lottie, and over there in Stoke, oh my God, I said Stoke on Trent again, for God's sake, <laughs> Stratford upon bloody Avon. Sorry, everyone, this is this is a running joke between us that for some reason I think Lorna lives in Stoke on Trent, and not being from the north, I am a Southerner through and through, I think anything above the Watford Gap requires me to have inoculations. Um, but Lorna lives in Stratford upon Avon. I'm so sorry. I need like a swear box for every time I say Stoke on bloody Trent. How many clients of ours have you convinced that I live in Stoke? It's ridiculous. It's like I'm trying to. I, I don't know what's wrong with me. Anyway, rewind. Start the week with Lorna and Lottie. One lives in the south, one lives a bit more up north, something that starts with S. And this is, is that what they speak like up there? In Stratford-upon-Avon, completely, yes. <laughs> anyway, Lorna, I'm calling this meeting to order. This is our place where we ruminate on culture, communications, change, leadership, and occasionally stray into the weird and wonderful depths of our brains so disclaimer for anyone that's new to this podcast mostly we keep it on topic but sometimes we go down a little rabbit hole and we're not even apologizing for that anyway Lorna I am still chuckling over our ridiculous chat last night because Lorna and I are actual friends in real life Woo! I'm so lucky um where I informed Lorna that I had bought my eighth pink jumper in as many months and Lorna decided that she was going to offer me a little bit of free coaching and psychoanalysis on the reasons behind my eighth purchase. Care to share? Always coaching. My offer to you, what I was wondering as a coach would say, would be that maybe um, subconsciously what you're doing when you're buying these pink jumpers is wrapping yourself in warmth and comfort and nurturing. So it's an act of self-compassion. Oh my goodness me, self-compassion. What could we possibly be wanting to talk about this week? It's, well, it's funny you should say that, Lottie, because I think this week um, we are going to talk about the topic of compassion in leadership. What a lovely, seamless segue that was. You know what? <laughs> we, we're all, we're almost getting good at this. No, so, no, we're really not. But we're, but we're, we're, we're getting there. Um, and yeah, a little bit of a shameless plug because we are actually in the process of writing one of our fabulous thought leadership papers all around the subject of compassion in leadership. So um, we thought that we'd toss that subject around for the next 20 minutes or so. Um, you know, and kind of seriously, more than ever, we now need leaders with the skills, the mindsets, and 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 the compassionate behaviour than any generation of leaders before. And we were thinking, weren't we, of the kind of the factors that were, were leading to actually compassionate leadership being so important in, in modern day workforces. And it's probably just worth beginning by just setting out kind of the, the kind of the core themes around at the minute, everything from the latest Edelman Trust Barometer, which I implore everyone to, to have a look at. It's full of really rich insight. Um, yeah. Trust in media and governments at an all time low, trust in my employer, to be that single source of truth really high. We need organisations that are trusted and for trust to grow, you need leaders who lead with empathy and compassion. Um, we don't like referring back to the pandemic, but actually, you know what? It has changed the way that we work forever. 
leaders during that time were actually whether they liked it or not they had to tap into elements of empathy compassion authenticity they needed to comfort their workforce to, to reassure them they, they were unscripted they were broadcasting yeah. from their kitchen tables um, and needing to to provide that that reassurance you know and as a result workers now expect their leaders to be different they expect yeah. their leaders to be able to lead with compassion we've got the element of generation z of course you know it's one of our favorite topics that massive disconnect between leadership and gen z and those expectations generation z want purposeful organizations they want organizations where they see that their leaders care about not just themselves but wider societal issues as well they want them to care about them they want them to do something about it and then i think finally the big topic of well-being well-being has to be front and center in organizational culture nowadays it can't just play lip service to it um recent survey by the cipd into workplace abstinence said that it's on the increase and actually mental health is a real contributing factor to that um you know and all of this requires a compassionate approach from leaders so lorna you tell me how do you define compassion or how do people that, that you read and research define compassion? So what even is compassion? Um, I think of compassion as being different, related to, but different to kindness and empathy. And there's a, a um, psychologist and a, a chap who founded something called the Compassionate Mind Foundation called Dr. Paul Gilbert. He's written a brilliant book called The Compassionate Mind, which I really love and recommend. He talks about it being both um, a feeling and a doing word. So it's engagement, the ability to recognise the emotion and the experience of other people and yourself. What's going on for me? What's going on for them? What's actually happening emotionally for me and, and other people? And then action, doing something about it. So you can see how this might differ from kindness because you, you sometimes can the act of doing something about other people's difficult emotions or even your own or your difficult experience is a bit harder than than just being kind so he's yeah his is a nice lead in then if you look at professor michael west who's done quite a lot of research into the importance of compassionate leadership starting within the nhs but now looking more broadly he says that there are some components of leading with compassion and he also says it's an action not just a, yeah he's, a mindset. he's got that really he's got a really good quote that actually it's probably worth um stating verbatim he says leaders play a powerful role what leaders pay attention to what they monitor what they reward what they talk about how they communicate to staff about what it is that's valued in the organization so it's really important that leaders embody compassion in their leadership and that means behaviors yeah, absolutely. So he's saying there that that, you know, it's that embodiment of compassion. So it's not just a belief. Of course, I care. You know, it's easy for leaders to say, well, I care. Well, I don't, it's, not, it's not that I don't care. Right? You hear that a lot. Compassion is a step beyond caring. It's actually an action, an active participation piece. It's now a good time to sort of just highlight Professor Michael West's what he calls the four components of compassionate leadership. Yeah, share, share those and maybe maybe unpack them. So he says compassionate leadership's got four components, empathising, attending, understanding and helping. 
So if you break those down, empathizing, we, we, we know what empathy is, which is really mirroring and feeling other people's distress, frustration and joy without being overwhelmed by that emotion themselves and being unable to help. So uh, Paul Gilbert would talk about that tolerance of distress. And that's really what we're talking about, which can be quite hard as a leader. Sometimes you get all swept up in somebody else's problems where you can't help or you distance yourself so much that you're sort of cut off from them. And empathy is that sweet spot in the middle. And I think there's a really good example of that in Jacinda Ardern, isn't there? I mean, I often talk about Jacinda in terms of all the qualities that a compassionate leader should embody. You know, if you just think back to both her handling of the pandemic, where she showed this this compassionate, steely resilience and this level of authenticity that I don't think a, a world leader has ever shown before. The Christchurch bombings um, back in 2019, she visited the mosque, she 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 uh, respected the the culture, the traditions of, of the Muslim people by covering up, by wearing the hijab. And she held those people tight. Um, even her resignation speech was grounded in empathy, in, in compassion. I am human. Politicians are human. I'm not the first woman to multitask. I'm not the first woman to work and have a baby. I know these are special circumstances, but there will be many women who will have done this well before I have. Absolutely. What's really worth noting is how much that that speech is steeped in the language of self-compassion. There's a researcher called Kristen Neff, who's done an awful lot of work on self-compassion, and I really recommend leaders, anybody actually, go and look at them. But that idea of what I'm experiencing is universal, it's understandable, I'm not the only person to go through this. She's not playing down what she's experienced, but she's just saying, this is not this is normal it's a human experience so that's she's a really lovely um example of empathy both for self and others the second aspect of michael west's um compassionate leadership model is attending which means being present with and focusing on other people now listening is a core part of that attending means really deep listening without any prejudice or preconception true listening we don't do this very well in organisations and leaders get worse as it, at it as they as they progress because they become more distanced from the people they really need to be listening. And of to. course, there's a real link between listening and psychological safety as well, which is obviously one of the bedrocks. Compassion and psychological safety come hand in hand, don't they? Yes. And you can't have one without without the other. other. So you mm. can't foster psychological safety without having a compassionate mindset and leadership approach. And you can't have either of those things without being able to really listen and listen with fascination as um as Nancy Nancy, Nancy Klein. Who's, Who's Nancy? Nancy? Klein? Nancy is she Nancy, Nancy? Is she Nancy Klein's very posh sister? She is, yes. She's Nancy Klein's southern sister, whereas Nancy southern sister who doesn't, on Trent. who doesn't live in Stoke on Trent. I think I I'm Nancy and you're Nancy, love. I'm Nancy and you're Nancy. Right, I'm sorry, that's a complete complete tangent we did give a disclaimer for this at the beginning of the podcast yes we did anyway the element of michael west's compassionate leadership model is understanding now this is hard because this means leaning in with curiosity when you've got situations that people are struggling with or conflicting perspectives or difficult feedback so that means inclusivity it means really recognizing different perspectives even if they're different to your own. A great example of this, Lottie, you touched on the Gen Z impact in the workplace. We hear a lot, I certainly do, kind of older leaders, and I count myself amongst that, you know, Gen X and, and boomers 
getting very frustrated with Gen, Gen Z talking about they don't know they've got it made what are they expecting to just come in swan when around? I, when, yeah when I when I was at work when I was starting off I did 12 hours every single day and all I did was work 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 and why are they saying they want a work-life balance why do they want to go to the gym why do they want to you know go and have a massage after work what's wrong with them what's wrong with them and it's yes. like yes you could be verbatim some of the, the more private moments that leaders sort of have a little a little vent about about gen z but the, but the, but the, the actually the, the the um irony is that in order to create a truly compassionate culture we actually need to look to the way that gen z are approaching work now because actually i think they approach work with a great deal of self-compassion they do they do what's lacking in the dynamic that i see at the moment is compassion from the uh, from leadership so as i say gen x and boomers more typically but also millennials look so self-compassion why am i so pissed off about this i'm pissed off about this because i did not have it and it's it was not hard fair me. it's not fair um does that mean that somebody else shouldn't have it no not necessarily let me lean in and learn more about it and i think from gen z a little bit of compassion for leaders who've come before before in terms of that's why they're struggling with this mindset. It's just not something they've experienced. So compassion across the gen the, the gender, the generational divide yes. um, would be, you know, a really nice piece to look at that understanding that Michael West talks about. And his fourth um element, which is helping, is really then the action piece that Dr. Paul Gilbert says. Is important so taking thoughtful and intelligent action to support individuals and teams i'm going to give a a personal individual example of this that brings it to life for me and it's the difference between the kindness fluffy stuff and the compassion um it's harder but it's more meaningful so it's easy to say self-care looking after yourself loving yourself is about treating yourself having an ice cream cake you know having an extra glass of wine a bit more chocolate but the compassionate thing to do is to go to bed early, eat really nurturing food, make sure you're getting enough sleep and exercise. So almost really nurturing yourself. And it's the same in organisations. The kind thing to do might be the fuzzball table or the posh Christmas party or the beer fridge. The compassionate thing to do is work life balance, resourcing, um, support for mental health, good le le leadership and management, having it in the fabric and culture of your organisation. Big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of let, let's address kind of the elephant in the room, really, especially when it comes to senior leaders, that you can't be um, compassionate and strong at the same time. You know, it's a really it's a common held belief, you know, be it subconscious or conscious, that there's no place for compassion in business. It's a weakness in order for leaders to be successful. They shouldn't show vulnerability or be soft. But actually, we know that compassion and yeah. strength can and must coexist. Right. And I'm going to take this back to trust, which is the foundation of something like psychological safety. Even if you go back kind of 20, 30 years in management models and look at something like Lencioni, um, trust is the foundation of high performing teams. It's the foundation of of organizations that that really thrive and so you can't build true relational trust unless you actually understand who somebody is and you've seen them be able to be vulnerable and self-aware so having an armor is a, 
up and that's what most leaders are talking about when they're talking about this kind of traditional sense of strength in leadership is this idea of having your armor on your professional armor on you and that makes you inaccessible and one of the beautiful things about the pandemic is it kind of just burns that armor down to the ground yeah that's really it's such a good point Lee and I often talk about when I'm talking um, from a kind of communications perspective to organizations that there's a tendency for organizations kind of where where there's literally that's what I talk about it where there's kind of robotic corporate armor that means when they're communicating with their people they can be perfectly affable and friendly when they're down the pub but the second they're trying to write something that they need to communicate they turn into these really weird corporate robots you know using language that you would never use and and I think one really easy way and I know we're about to go on and talk to this but I one easy way that that leaders and and everyone within organizations can start to behave with more compassion is simply to use more compassionate language in the in their speech in their presentations in, in their in their writing yeah yeah and i would come back to this idea that compassion in action is not easy doing the compassionate thing it's easy to put on a lunchtime yoga class to redecorate the office to have a football table to have a beer fridge it's not easy to do the meaningful stuff across the organization that really creates a compassionate culture, be that leaning into hard dialogue with your people around diversity, equity and inclusion, be that looking at how you really resource and train people, be that really making sure that you're hiring the right people and prioritizing long-term sustainability over short-term results. All of those things are compassionate acts, but they're not the easy things to do, which is why it's that strength in leadership, which is a courageous thing, you know, kind of almost a strength in terms of doing the right thing versus the easy thing. Think about it that way. Yeah. So that feels quite nebulous. So should we start to make it a little bit more? Yeah, definitely. You know, and I think if if organisations are looking to really consciously integrate a culture which has more compassionate elements to it you know a really good place to start is actually to look at your current organizational values and if you're doing things properly the framework of behaviors that underpin those values to help create your ideal culture and I'm not saying that everyone kind of immediately just junks one value and six compassion in because that's not the way it works but it's probably a good idea just to kind of get your organizational behavioral framework out all your competencies whatever you talk however you talk about them and look to see whether you've got elements of compassion in your current behavioural framework. Have you got behaviours that relate to a listening culture, a culture where it's OK to make mistakes, a culture where everyone's voice needs to be heard? You know, that's 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 a good a good place, a good place to start. Yeah. And then I think you can go one level further which is looking really at the fabric of your organization and what are the barriers to compassion that might come into play. So if everybody is always working flat out, there is no time, you're not giving people the pause to be able to be compassionate. You're you're putting them in what we would call a way state or you know operating in a, in a more regular state of stress where it's actually almost impossible to be compassionate. Um, Dr. Paul, Paul Gilbert says that operating under stress is like giving yourself a frontal lobotomy. It's almost it bypasses compassion in a way. So having an environment where people are not perpetually stressed, either under resourced or overworked or that team's culture of one meeting after another, after another, after another. Those sorts of things can be bad barriers to compassion. So it comes down to really sort of processes, policies and systems. You can actually put those yeah. under the microscope to say, do they inhibit a culture of compassion? 
yeah, it's no good having compassion as a value on the wall if you haven't actually thought about how do we enable compassion in the way that we operate across across the organisation. So, yes, um, values and behaviours, yes, tone of voice, as you've spoken about it before. I think making sure that leaders really understand what compassion is both from a self-compassion and compassion for others point of view and then having the the framework within the organization really identifying and you can go out to your people and your leaders and say what are the what now we understand what we mean by compassion we're clear about the values and behaviors we know what it means to us what are the barriers that we have to living that way day in day out and how do we start to address those you know um, systematically so that we can really embed compassionate leadership throughout the country. Yeah, and, 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 it's, and, it, and I think it's probably about the C-suite having some potentially quite uncomfortable conversations amongst themselves. Does that, does that, does that exec <laughs> group have psychological safety and compassion amongst themselves? Because if they haven't got a cohort that encourages honesty, openness, compassion, psychological safety, then they're sure as hell are not going to be able to embed that across the, the fabric of their organization so they've got to what they've got to work at trust trust at that level too oh right i mean the number of times i've i've worked with the chief execs or their teams or as a team and individually one-on-one -on -one, folks might say we need to work on trust but i don't have psychological safety yet for us to name that elephant you have to get into that if you want a compassionate culture you want to be growing and developing compassionate leaders I'm afraid you do need to start at the top. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we know that this stuff actually isn't that isn't pink and fluffy either. You know, people who work in supportive teams with clear goals and really good, clear, compassionate leadership actually have dramatically lower levels of stress. And we talked at the beginning of this podcast about the impact of stress and mental health and absenteeism. Compassionate leadership increases staff engagement and satisfaction, which results in better outcomes for organisation and, of course, improved financial performance. So, you know, this this stuff matters, guys. It does. So compassion and leadership, we need it. The world needs more of it. What the world needs now is love, sweet love as um, is that the carpenters. Who sang that? I don't know. We'd anyway, be rubbish on the pop quiz. We need we need that and we need loads more pink jumpers. I think that's the answer. <laughs> world, world peace. Buy another pink jumper. Anyway, just to plug again our compassionate leadership thought paper, which is coming out next week. Um, look out for that. And um, in next week's podcast, we're going to be throwing around hybrid working. We know it's been done to death, but I've got a particular little theory about how um, virtual working meeting spaces have um, democratised the meeting space that I'll um, share. And then I'm sure Lorna will tell me that's a load of rubbish and then we'll have a chat about it. And then we'll have a cup of tea and I'll buy another jumper <laughs> and all will be well. All will be well. Um, Lottie, have a wonderful week in your pink jumpers. I think you now have one for every day of the week, plus one to have in the wash. Yes, I Am do. I right? Yes, I do. Yes, I, and I'm wearing it right now. It's beautiful. If this wasn't a pod, people could see the beauty of the pink jumper. Go well <laughs> in your pink blanket of warmth and comfort. And uh, yeah, we'll see you all next week. Take care. Bye bye. Bye.